So what happens when you combine my insane curiosity with some of the world's most interesting people? You end up with incredible conversations full of stories, insights, and the defining moment that made them who they are today. This is The David Spizak Show. Welcome to the David Spizak Show. I'm so pleased and thankful that you're here. I appreciate you taking the time. And as always, I, because I do appreciate the investment of time, you know, my intention is always to deliver massive value. And I'm so fortunate because I'm joined by some of the very, very best operators, thought leaders, and innovators across retail automotive, both in the United States and Canada. And we're very fortunate, I'm very fortunate today to have somebody on who I've long respected, I've known for quite a while, Isam Mohammed, who is the managing director of the Regency Auto Group and the dealer principal for both locations. Isam, thank you for taking the time to join me. Such an honor to be here. I'm really excited. Oh, yeah, it's a real pleasure. I mean, we've been communicating for a very long time. If I, you know, it's almost like it was 40 years ago and we've been pen pals for years but we do it electronically. And, and it's finally, it's nice to finally have you here where we can have a conversation. And I'm so, I'm interested in so many topics and I want to touch on, and hopefully we get to them all. But, you know, primarily, I really just look forward to having the opportunity to learn from you and listen to exactly what you're doing in your organization as this industry continues to evolve. And so, if it's okay, let's start with this. First, for everybody's benefit who has not had the pleasure of meeting you or knowing you, would you mind just giving your background, please, in terms of in retail automotive? So my, my historic whole career has started with when I was 13 years old, washing cars. I've always been very interested in vehicles. I would sit and memorize taillights of the back of every car at night. And then as I grew older, I began to shift away from my love from cars for love of people. And so the best thing about this industry, I really enjoy working with my team. It feels like family every day. And I also, the customers that followed me throughout my career from seeing a sales manager to marketing, to, to different brands that I've had to move around with. And, and finally the deal principal role at my Toyota and Lexus store here in Vancouver, BC. And so over, so you've been in the business for, Literally decades, right? Two and a two two and a half decades. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. So I would say, yeah. So thirteen to forty four now. So yeah, so th- three decades. Wow. I'm curious. Where did the original love of cars come from? My dad was a car. He was in Africa, in Kenya. He was in the car rally, and he's always been around cars. My grandfather actually was a, a manufacturer of. Um, repurposing tires hmm. uh, in Africa, the tires used to um, puncture quite easily and the rough roads and we tread them and or different ways. And my father was followed his footsteps in the technical side of it with rubber and he studied technology in, in college. And my fondest memory, my earliest memories watching the Sunday Formula One races with my dad oh. on, on those big wooden TVs. And we, we would sit in his bedroom and we'd watch every race in the morning on Sunday. 
my first car was an Eagle Talon and it was great memories with that uh, vehicle, you know, the, the, with the red, with the white wheels and the black top. And I still look back at those, those pictures. It's just all, it's always been around me. I, I've always been just fascinated with design, engine choices and, and how I was always excited for the next vehicle to come out. And I, I remember my parents used to come back from all the different manufacturer at that time when I grew up, we had nine brands and I was familiar with a lot of different brands and I had to memorize all these tail lights. And my parents would come back from these dealer meetings and I would be the first one to ask them, what's the, what's coming next year? What's the glimpse? Give me the future. And their photographic memory wasn't the greatest. So they couldn't really tell me exactly. How, it wasn't with a lot of disappointment in trying to figure out what was next. When did, what caused this shift? from your primary focus or love passion being about the cars to being about the people? I think it was when I became an enthusiast in a different way. I got my first dream car and it was a 95, I still have it, it's a 95 Toyota Supra. Oh, great car. Um, and it's, I was, it's the car I wanted, it's my first car. And I take it to the car meets and just meeting the people that were fascinated with this car and what was interesting is this car when i got it in 2011 it was before the hype it, it, it was around in super fast and furious but and the kids the little kids that were watching that movie would know what the car is but i could park it next to lamborghinis and 300 dollars cars and it would be unseen and it was interesting to watch who would be attracted to talk to me about this particular model and the conversation I was getting into just kind of gave me a different look. You know, what is an enthusiast when you're, you know, you, when you're in a business, you don't really know what it's like to be one until you become one. And that's, I think that makes connection with from the heart with a lot of people because people really love their vehicles. I mean, I can go down my street and, it's full of car people. And it's just so funny because I've just moved to this house about during COVID and somebody has a Lamborghini Miura in my street. And that that's seeing them talk about it and then seeing the, the kid with the European S3 talk about it. It's just that kind of love connects people. And that's, I think that's where it really makes it really interesting and that shifted cars to people. You know, you brought up something, a couple of things I'd like to unpack. One of them is a word that we hear all the time in our industry, and it's enthusiast, right? And, you know, we know there's Ferrari enthusiasts, there's Porsche enthusiasts, BMW enthusiasts. <clears throat> but, you know, there's, I think it's interesting because the word enthusiast really has a broader reach than just the highest uh, levels, strat the stratosphere uh, of automotive in terms of the price of vehicles. This is more than a GT3, for example, or more than a, you know, a, 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 an SF90 Ferrari or, or Lamborghini Huracan or whatever it might be. And you just touched on that, you know, with the Toyota Supra. And of course, there's some movies that I think really kind of created that or helped it along. My question for you is, you know, in the United States, we have less than 60% of 18-year-olds who have their driver's license. Now, if you go back in time, not too awful long ago, 40 years, over 80% of 18-year-olds had driver's license. 
businesses by then. And that seems to be diminishing over time. It has been dwindling over time. I don't know if you have that same situation in Canada, but my question is this. Do you see or do you think we have the same level of enthusiast culture today, the love of cars as we did, you know, one or two, three decades ago when you started? So I'll answer the question in two points. One point being that enthusiasts in Canada and U.S. are both very different. But both, the identity is made on their vehicle. So even if they're not an enthusiast, they can be, they can personally become enthusiasts without even knowing it because their, their vehicle is their identity. Mm-hmm. For example, how the minivan was a soccer mom's car and now it's become the dad's car. It's the swagger wagon. Like <laughs> when I go to my kid's school, wagon. when you go to my kid's school, the, the, the dads love the Sienna because it was something they grew up with. Like the sliding doors is a cool thing. So it's that connection and identity that gives that person that being. The second way to answer is that Despite of the declining in the age of drivers, the people that are buying cars at that age group are enthusiasts. That they That's they are about. born they're born this way, which is interesting. And I think Toyota really captured that by introducing the GR series with manuals, because we are selling these manuals. We're not selling the automatic super anymore. We're selling the manual one so because interesting. That, that age group wants that. They want the identity of owning a car that is part of their identity of being able to say, I can drive a manual. I can do this. You can't. I'm better than you. That's their ego is built on that. And I think that's really interesting to see that the word enthusiast involved, but it's still the same thing. And I was watching one of your podcasts, even the electric, electrical, electric car cult of the Tesla. It is kind of an enthusiasm. It's their identity. Exactly. It's, Rivian has been trying. If you look, if you look at Rivian's social media, they're trying to be that Tacoma enthusiast. They're trying to take that lifestyle and project themselves as this. We can be Tacoma enthusiasts, but with an electric truck. And I think as time will go, I think there'll still be that identity with a vehicle. And what we also was brilliant with the TRD in the same way. You know, it's funny. I don't know what the exact number is, but they say it's over 90% of all four-wheel drives have never had dirt on their tires. right? And yet people have to have this four-wheel drive. So it's not like they're going off-roading. But then, you know, Toyota came out with the TRD. They took it up a level and people loved it. And another form of, they did a, a brilliantly created an enthusiast in the truck owner. And you just touched on something that I think is the newest form of enthusiast or version of enthusiast better said, and that's the EV owner. And the easiest way to test that is talk to anybody who owns or drives an EV and tell them it was a mistake to buy that EV or you don't like EVs. You don't believe it. And you're about to hear, you're about to get a, a throwdown from an enthusiast because those <laughs> people, those people oh, believe me, I get my share of that on my chat channels, right? I mean, if you say anything, it's like you offended their family. It's like they are serious enthusiasts about those vehicles. So I think it's almost like a reinvention of the enthusiast in automotive. And it's so interesting to see this unintended battle, you know, between the ice people should become a movie 
I want credit for it, by the way. If anybody ever does this, just put it right here, right now. I want credit. This is my idea. I want the ice. It's kind of like Transformers. I want the ice Transformers versus the EV Transformers because those are literally, no pun intended, oil and water or oil and electricity, I should say, better said. Let me ask you this. So the other thing I wanted to unpack a little bit more was this, I don't want to say turning point, but almost like this epiphany or revelation where you connected the people side, the humanity side, you know, of that enthusiast or just people in general. And so I'm curious, how does that play a role? Your passion, your focus for people, how does that play a role in your dealership group in the way that your work culture, your associate culture, and in anything in terms of the way you handle situations or hiring or anything in your dealership? It's a very cool question because the I really believe that as much as we want to try to sell cars online, as much as we want to follow what startups are doing, they are coming to our world. They are coming to our world with people need connections. Their soul to soul business is such an important part of any business, but especially our car business. When some when there's something so complex, it doesn't have to be so complex. And everybody wants to meet a friend. Everyone wants to meet someone new. And connection with people at my at the, in the company, being there with them every day, whether it be on a chat or congratulating them for their deals of the day, um, which I do daily and everyone's contribution is great because it's part of a larger picture. It's a part of what we do as a company with our community, how we connect with other charities, with our charity initiatives. It's how we connect with the families that and feeling fulfilling their needs and making sure that we have personalized touch with all of those things, whether it be them with their staff, with our clients, with the family members of every member of our team. And do you do anything formalized in terms of culture training, leadership training? Do you do anything in terms of that allows your associates to get together outside of the work environment or maybe in a nonprofit environment, volunteer, anything along those lines? So every vehicle we sell, new or used, we take $50 and we donate the batch amount to towards a charity of choice for that quarter and that as a token of appreciation we give the customer you can see the panda behind me as a, a stuffy to show no, thank you for purchasing the vehicle with us we made this donation 50 dollars on behalf and then we accumulate that quarter and as a team we go visit the charities and see what, what they're all about and we take various members and we have lunch or ice cream or whatever afterwards and uh, reflect on how great that was and what we decided to do, why we chose that charity. And and kind of, and we also take input from our team, which charity should be choice because a lot of dealerships, they choose one charity and that's it forever. Uh, but we changing it up so that everyone has a, a, a say in what that charity for that quarter will be. And so we can we arranged everything from food to children, to disabilities, to housing, anything like, and those kind of things. Have you seen, have you seen, does anything kind of just pop into your head, but an example where you just were sitting there one time, maybe you guys are having ice cream, you're having lunch, you're discussing it, you're hearing the thoughts from your folks, from your team, in terms of what that meant to them, how it impacted them, 
have you, does there anything that comes to mind and you don't have to bring uh, specifics, but where you just sit there and go, man, I'm so glad that we do this. And I didn't realize perhaps how profound or how, how significant the impact might be on culture or on team or them getting together, anything like that. There's so many moments that like could be in tears in my eyes with some things that members have said to me afterwards or before or during when you see them put on that big hand ahead on it's just a it's just a symbol on its own that you know that for a video that we will be social using for social media or when we go to the charities and you just see tears fall from some of the members eyes of how much impact we're making it's just like i the feeling is like yeah I, I, it gets me right now it's just the feeling is just so heavy on your heart and because we so much in the news and how things are can feel the sky is falling but when we can actually try to make that impact and not have a finger to point other than ourselves and do something about it that purpose it, it is a it's just beautiful for us like we it's, it really brings everyone together I can imagine it's incredibly powerful organizationally and for everybody who participates in that. So let's shift to a different area because you also mentioned social. How important is it for dealerships? Pretty much every dealership has a social page, right? They've got a, they've got a page on Facebook. They probably have a presence on Instagram. Some of them even have it on TikTok, and I don't see them too much on, on LinkedIn as far as dealership pages. It's more individual, but a couple of questions with regards to social Many dealerships will hire a company to handle their social page and other dealers will do it internally. Which path did you take? I haven't internally. There were many years I did it myself before having a team. My, my background is photography, so I really enjoy taking pictures. But, you know, it's just a photo with this witty caption is just not enough. It's how to gain engagement is very challenging, especially in the, in the industry that we're in the automotive industry because you do have you still sort of have that stigma you still have like wh why would i follow the car dealer I, i'm i'm passionate about the pet the brand but when we shifted to just really focus on videos i think videos was something that much takes in the photos to the next level on the feeling side and from the engagement inspiration how to inspire people and also it brings the team together a video everyone's kind of shy to be on video or in a podcast or in those type of aspects like because they're always worried about how their face will look or how can they relax and on the nerves but as you start doing more it's not so bad and because you feel like you're doing something like one of our strongest videos over christmas was the the tire video we had this crazy weather and we got 50,000 50, Teslas on the road and with California tires and sleets of ice just piles up everywhere. It's, so the education of just tires alone, it was such a great message and to educate people. And there were so many people writing me, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that paper, you know, when you take the, four, the paper and forward into four and that's one contact point of one tire. And when you're turning, it's only a corner of it. And those are things that people have really care about. It's your life starts right up where the contact hatches. Isn't it not important? Yeah, that's extraordinary. What a fantastic story. And boy, what an incredible 
a video that any dealership could make that is likely to have a massive impact because, and you brought up something else too, which is equally important. You know, too often times we're in this business day in and day out, we're jumping in and out of cars. We, you know, we don't even think anything of it. And you, after a while, it's easy to sit there and take the position that, oh yeah, everybody knows that. And the reality is nobody knows that. Very easy. Why would they know that? Right. And so what a great way as a reminder to the team, but as a service to the client. And then lastly, the thing that's just confounding to me about the business sometimes is I say this all the time. I really don't know another industry. I can't think of an industry on earth where somebody can come in without a college degree, without even a high school degree. They can walk in, maybe they get a job as a you know, on the front desk, maybe it's a valet, maybe they're a salesperson. And two years later, that person can be making six figures. I mean, transformative type of money for that family and for that person. That same person can end up, you know, being a general manager five, eight, 10 years after that. And there's nothing that would preclude them or prohibit them from actually becoming a dealer and owning a dealership. I, I know personally people that you know, I hired a guy, young guy, high school diploma. I was going to buy batteries at, at a place like a Best Buy, one of those electronic stores. And this guy switched me from batteries to rechargeable batteries and said, hey, have you ever seen, I mean, you got kids. I mean, they must be going through a lot of batteries. Well, instead of buying that, why don't you do this? And he takes me over and he takes me through a full demonstration, presentation, like a better, I literally went back to my Mercedes store and said, guys, I hate to say this, but this 18-year-old just gave me a better presentation yesterday on batteries than I see us give sometimes on a fifty dollars or $70,000 car. I ended up going back a couple more times just to see if it was kind of a one-off. Maybe I caught him on a good day, and I didn't. That was just the way he was, the way he approached it. I offered him a job. I hired him as a salesperson in our Ford store. He became salesperson of the year that year, salesperson of the year next year, promoted him to finance, was the top finance guy, promoted him to sales manager, was the top sales manager guy, ended up becoming the general manager of one of my stores maybe eight years later, and ended up being a chief executive officer or chief operating officer for a large dealership group in Southern California. That's automotive. Doesn't happen anywhere else, right? And then... You have that enthusiast side. Who doesn't like car? I mean, we all grew up with families that we have memories in our cars. We all remember, most of us, depending on what that those first memories were and what we were doing, but we remember the day we first got keys and we were liberated and we had our own set of wheels. Didn't matter if it was a hundred. My first car, Isam, you could literally punch a hole with your finger in the side of the car with body rot, this canary yellow light canary yellow with olive green vinyl, a Chevelle that I had, 1970 Chevelle, ugly as car you can imagine. But it was my Ferrari. You know, it was my liberation. You probably still can remember how it sounds. I do. And, you know, and how it smelled. (laughs) And so, but the point is we all have those memories. You know, people love car movies. People love car races. And so it's kind of weird. It's confounding why... Why would we not think that people would not have some type of genuine interest if we were to approach it in a very authentic way like that on social media? Do you agree with that? 
Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, your point about attracting, like people get a start in our industry without student debt. They like another part about the people element is that so many of the team have paid off their homes uh, early in life. And, and when you hear that, I remember my dad coming home and telling me that one of his techs has a, a Lamborghini and he's just like, and he has his house paid off and he came to thank me for this opportunity. And so you, you don't have to go to college. You don't have to go to university. If you can't afford it, that's okay. The, the automotive industry is there so contributing to the economy, to the community and helping the people get to work as well. At the same time, it's the doctors, nurses, they rest upon us to get as they needed work, workplace. Yeah. You I mean, during the pandemic, you know, safest place outside your house was your car, right? So it, it really is interesting. And you just brought up a whole nother layer or level, but is the connection to the community. You know, it's one of the things that there's some fantastic public organizations like Lithia, you know, like Penske, like AutoNation and others. But one of the tough things for them that's very difficult for them to replicate, if at all, is to be able to really get the level of connection that a privately owned dealership has with their community, with nonprofits like you're doing, with schools, with, you know, soccer teams, baseball teams, you know, church, community churches, whatever it might be. And that's such a huge part of our industry. And it's a part of it that I'm, you know, really proud of. I'm proud that, you know, it has the power to transform lives for people that come to work in the industry, that it has the power to transform communities and positively impact communities. So, you know, and like you said, I mean, most people, the vast majority of people in Canada, U.S. and other places how do they get their kids to school? It's the car. How do they get to work to feed their family? It's the car. You know, when they need to go somewhere on a, on a vacation and they're going to go create amazing memories, that's in the car half the time, more than it is in a plane by a long shot. So it's, it's pretty cool. Let's shift gears if we can, no pun intended. You know, in the three decades that you've been in this business, you have seen change. We've all seen change, but it, Seems to me, Aizam, that that in the last two or three years, the rate of change, the speed of change is accelerating. Have you felt that? In 2017 and 2007, two different pivotal years. So 2007 was the year of Facebook. And I remember we handing out the employee guide, don't, you're not allowed to be on Facebook at work. <laughs> and then the next year, you need to be on Facebook to get clients. <laughs> so, I mean, just to think about 365 day difference. It's you have a completely different use of you can't, you're telling people not to do something one year and the next year, so everyone's just confused with this change. And is and the moral of the story there, at least part of it, fear or overreacting. Do we overreact in this industry? Yeah. And then TikTok comes out and we're, we're Everyone's, oh, hold on, we, we, it's, what is TikTok? The news is bashing it, we shouldn't be on it. But all of these little items are so important. And, and so 2017 was another pivotal year because that's when you started hearing, that's buy online. That's like, how do we compete with this buying online thing? And you see a lot of the website companies started to use the term digital retailing. 
it was like it was a pop face that in, in and when you see that that is another advancement and when you have these deal things along the way in another memory even before 2007 i don't know if you remember when the email first came out what you mean you don't have to seal a letter and mail it to your lawyer you could do that and then fast forward now we're docu-signing stuff mm-hmm. we don't even have to print it yeah, i mean techion actually has created a platform it's fascinating that's cloud-based that's mobile first can you imagine mm-hmm. dms mobile first cloud-based and paper free no paper no all you know all these dealerships i go around the country and they have file cabinets after file they have rooms with just file cabinets or bankers boxes of deal jackets that people haven't looked at for God knows how long they have to keep them there. And then somebody came up with scanning and now you have to hire some guy who just, that's his whole life every day from morning to night cannot possibly get past this pile. And now to your point, transformative solutions that the entire thing is electronic. Crazy. Which scares you a lot about how much dependency on electronic, whether it be cars, stoves, dealer, DMS, phones, there's absolutely nothing you can do without a power out. It's really like there's so much dependency. And that's probably one of my biggest fears every day when I see a message saying, you know, our server's down or whether our server in Calgary had a, an ice freeze and, you know, it doesn't work. On, on in Vancouver. So we have winds, we have all of these things that affect the electrics, the grid can, can hinder our business and change that customer's uh, satisfaction in a second. Pretty extraordinary, isn't it? As we go forward, speaking of technology, and you mentioned, you know, a couple of things already, but I'm curious, you're not going to NADA this year. If you were going to NADA, uh, was there anything in particular in terms of a product or solution that you feel either it's time I need to upgrade what I have to a newer form of this solution, or I'm interested in learning more about a particular solution we've just never had. When we go back to talk, when we talked about people that have come into our industry without the higher level education and those things, there's a lot of tools that they need to how to converse with guests or how to handle certain situations that AI is a lot of that solution that is starting, but it still needs to grow. That as a tool, I feel that it's, it's the most important going forward. I think we talked about this the last time we talked, like being able to go to a dashboard and have your answers right there without having to read reports because reports take time interpretation reports reports take another time and a lot of that's done at home it's not done at work because you're with the customer face to face or your team members face to face when you when i read my reports i'm reading in when everyone's asleep at home and the lights are all out and i'm just studying and studying till 1 a.m or whatever and i am ready for the next day to what the next thing is but if i could just get some sleep, wake up in the morning, tell me exactly what to say and what to do. It, it would be fantastic. And so that's, I think that will, I think I'll be going to NADA in, 
in the next few years to be watching for that. Because all my solutions right now are outdated. Mm-hmm. Everything at the dealership. Like, I don't see any vendor that I'm using right now in my future. Well, that's interesting. That's a huge statement for anybody listening who happens to be on the dealership side or the vendor side. Let's pivot in another direction since you brought up the word vendor. The statement that I've been sharing with dealers is going forward, you know, as we are continuing to encounter rapid change, and we're likely to continue to see that, maybe even with greater acceleration, and, you know, whether it's, you know, EVs or whether it's AI or whether it's any other aspect of our operations, finance, fixed, new cars, used cars, whatever it might be. I'm curious, what area of the dealership operations do you think five years from now is going to experience the greatest level of accelerated change or transformation? I really feel that the future of the big box stores is going to be the biggest change. I look around our industry, I see big dealerships, monstrosities like Taj Mahal's of dealerships. And when you see the big push of 15-minute cities on the political side and the development side, where do these places fit? People are going to be stuck in that 15-minute radius we want to be able to walk somewhere to discover the things, the products they want to buy if they're not doing it online. So smaller footprints in these type of 15 minutes is what I predict that would be a change. We've been conditioned as dealers to spend as much money as possible to bring people into the dealership. And even at a, as a young kid, when I went to as a mall rat, you would go to the mall and you wouldn't see any cars there. You would only see the cars that were dropping off and picking up and doing groceries and all of those things. And then when there, my earliest memory of seeing a car in the mall, there was a, a lotto and you could win a car and you buy the ticket, the, the, the provincial lotto and they would line up all the cars in, in the, the pathway inside the mall. Everyone could see the cars, but they were all locked up. So what was the experience? And but people would talk about it. People would talk about that they saw the latest vehicle at the mall. And when, but unfortunately, the inside the mall doesn't really absolutely totally work because you, you can't take the car out of the store. You, you can't. It's not easy to access, right? I mean, if I go there and I want to look at a car and I'm interested, but now I'm driving up and down the aisles looking for a parking place, it's not a yeah. very great experience, is it? But there's other ways to do it. And the, a lot of these these buildings are have commercial spaces downstairs. And they they can't all be restaurants. Yeah. Like they can't they all can't be gyms. They all can't so, so a lot of these high rises, these communities and high density spots, there is a need for it. And I when I realized this when I went to Japan and a lot of Europe and where my my Lexus stores is in a condo building as well. And we have 14,000 uh, square foot of showroom space uh, for Lexus vehicles. And it's, it's been perfect amount of space. It's in the community. You're in this, the, where people live and they can walk to you. They can drive to you. They can go for to lunches nearby. When you see these big stores, they're also in very isolated areas. There's no conveniences. You almost have to bring the conveniences into the dealership, like have a cafe or mm-hmm. have a pedicure, have a gym, you see a lot of that. And I, I think when you, 
it might be different in some places in the U.S. where there's, there's only one dealer for 50 miles radius. But in urban centers, is how are you going to get be attracted to bringing without trying to bring them into the dealership? Yeah, you know, I've seen Porsche, Acura, Lincoln, and I'm missing others. Other brands, of course, you've got Rivian and Tesla. Tesla really started that movement where you show, where they were showing up in shopping malls, right? or in urban centers but you're starting to see more of that and it probably is very much in response they're thinking the same thing you know they're looking at where we're going societally in canada as well as the united states and seeing that 15 minute and for anybody who's not familiar would you mind just sharing what that 15 minute radius is if they haven't heard of that before so 15 minute cities are becoming a man globally and a lot of cities are using it to help get permits. So if you have, if you're contributing to a 15 minute city, you can build a building as a developer a lot easier. But what is it is being able to have a butcher, have a groceries, have your library, have your school. Live somewhere where everything is no more than 15 right. minutes out. Fully encompassed into that community. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the densities can be hundreds of thousands. And so that would in hope to reduce emissions, driving, to lower our carbon footprint overall. Because these are very walkable. Everything's very walkable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So I want to bounce back because I was we were touching on the word vendor. And, you know, as we move forward into this continues, continued transformation of retail automotive, first of all, how would you, you've got vendors that you're using right now? Some are technology vendors, other are maybe janitorial or window washers, whatever it might be. What's the difference to you between a vendor and a partner? In other words, a vendor who is really, they're elevated in terms of the way they interact with you, your people, your organization, and they have this deep commitment to being not just another vendor, but a viable business partner. First of all, do you see that in your organization? If you were to look at your payables list right now, are there both vendors and partners in your organization? When you build trust, you get that partnership. And a lot of vendors treat, don't treat you like the number on your payables, on the AR side. It's so a transaction. Yeah, transactional. And well, I was looking at some stats recently for a committee I'm on, and one of the in our meeting, they were talking about the what the survey that we had for different DMSs, and they were going through what Toyota's uh, dealers in Canada felt towards each vendor, and they shared these results with these DMSs, and their responses was, "We were not, sh- we are not surprised that we were that low on this, whether it be on support, whether we- they were not surprised that they were not good at something." If we were like, if we were ever to tell our OEM that we're not surprised that our CSI is so bad, <laughs> God forbid, I would, I don't even know if you'd still be a You'd dealer. have a target on, on your head from the OEM. It's really hard to imagine anybody that can wake up every day and go, you know, we know people hate us. We get it. I mean, it seems to me that if you're a vendor who has established trust that you're referring to, and that allows you to make the the transition, the jump from being simply a, another vendor, transactional-based vendor, to a legitimate business partner. 
it would seem to me that everybody on that payables list would go to great lengths to do that because the likelihood of you considering another option or, or churning off of that vendor to somebody else, I mean, it's in their intelligent best interest. Why would they not? What is the biggest hurdle, do you think, from your perspective for a vendor is they just they don't pay attention, they don't care, it's not important, it's not front of mind? Is it in the staffing? Is it in their approach? What is it that holds them back? Innovation is number one. I would say innovation is number one. Because a lot, everyone, not everyone, so a lot of them are stuck in this cycle of let's just collect, just keep collecting. When you ha- have a vendor that is like a subscription based, like a lease, mm-hmm. they, they just know that the contract's there. And then you get the call one month before the contract ends. <laughs> just, it's just like all these guys, you know, I feel horrible at the same time, but you know, just, well, you know, your contract's up, we want to keep you. And a lot of people, when you see that, doesn't then drive innovation. You need to have your hair standing up to drive innovation. And I feel that that's why I made a statement is I don't see in five years, I'll have any of them because they may be great at the interpersonal skills. They may be great at good experience, good advice, but how are they making my business better Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by making themselves better? That's the home. I like that you said that. What are they doing? Are they obsessing? over not just the client experience, because it's almost like, you know, I was at a dealer group not long ago, and I really, I said, I don't like the thought of paying a salesperson or an advisor a bonus for great CSI. You know, that's like, why don't I just pay you a bonus for showing up then? Because isn't that part of your job to deliver Mm -hmm. at baseline? If you want to be part of this organization, yes, we fully expect you every single time to deliver us an extraordinary experience. And we're not going to pay you. That's what your job is to do that. So, you know, a vendor that, you know, it's great that they have nice people. It's great that they care about that experience. It's just what you're saying is it's not enough anymore. They need to obsess about what else can we do to enable Regency Auto Group, Isam and his team, to be able to achieve a higher level of performance right? Better results. That's what it comes down to, right? So it's a combination of that innovation, that obsession with how do I help enable your team? And yes, the customer experience, the client experience is important, but that's that's a base ticket to get into the show anyways. Do you agree mm-hmm. with that? Absolutely. And even just contribute to even the charities that the, the dealer works with. I mean, I know they can't participate in every dealer, all their clients' charities, but just, or even just recognize, like just buy one hand. Amplify them, hmm? right? I mean, if nothing, amplify them, talk about it. They can talk about what you're doing on their social media sites, for example, right? What would you say? So we talked about at NADA, you know, what, where your eyes would be. We talked about where you see the greatest level of transformation going forward. And we touched on just a bit EVs, Because EVs in 2024, as we go into NADA, and as you know, you typically are going to go to manufacturer meetings, Lexus, Toyota, Porsche, Ford, Toyota, Chevy, you know, whatever franchise you have. And for any of those that currently have EVs or are scheduled to have EVs coming out, and we're supposed to literally double the number of available EV models in the coming 12 to 15 months. First of all, I guess my biggest question to you is, 
you know, Toyota and Lexus took a decidedly different path to where kind of similar to Japan as a whole, Japan didn't say, okay, we're going to just overreact and do everything in, in electric. They said, no, I think there's a better way, hybrid. And Japan as a country is at nationally 59 miles to the gallon, 59 miles to the gallon, and only 3% of the sales are BEVs. They do it through hybridization, not through electrification. Two questions. Going forward, do you think hybridization is the better option long-term? And two, for dealerships or OEMs that have a decent presence and are going to be a growing presence in EVs, is that problematic? Or is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? In Vancouver, I'm experiencing a very bizarre and different situation. For the last 10 years and up until now, we've seen a Tesla come in as such a big powerhouse. So just to, give you, to illustrate this in the stats, 78% of Tesla sold in Canada are sold in my market. Wow. 78%. Are in Vancouver. In Vancouver, in wow. my market. So spending the last 10 years watching this happen and then seeing the path that Toyota took was a challenge as a dealer. It was a challenge because the buzz was so heavy around me. It's, 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 it's all you see on the road. And, but when you, when I look at the numbers nationally, Toyota sells 1.7 um, ratio, 1.78 to one electrified for every Tesla. And it's very similar ratio as in the States. I think it's like 1.34, something like that. So the ratios are very similar and the volume percentage of electrified in Canada for Toyota Canada, Lexus as well, is 50% and 26% in US. But when you have so much happening in such a small of a city, like where, I'm, where I am, how do, is it the future? Are people just all cults? <laughs> are they all part of this enthusiast? Like it, 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 it perplexing around me to see that. And when you see other, when then now that the other OEMs are coming into our market, we have it a little bit easier because people already know what it's like to own an electric vehicle. The education process is not quite the same. They just now looking for something with more quality. So we're almost like we're 10 years ahead of the rest of North America because we're already past that education point. We're now saying, you know, our advertising is not just about the rebates. It's, it's not just about the entry. But when you have an, an also an advantage of an alternative, which is the hybrid way or the plug-in hybrid way, and when we're offering all of these rushes to choose from, it makes it a very nice presentation and making me a lot of confidence in Toyota in that way that we can benefit the environment for all, no matter what we sell. And the, the, the volume that we can achieve this is much, a large, much larger internationally. But at the same time, locally, we don't know how much impact is making because there's such a high volume of Tesla sold in Vancouver. It's so high that they're building their, the first time ever the largest service facility, the largest delivery center. This is like a we're so far we're so far ahead in that glimpse. It's so unbelievable just to watch this. The closest and thing I, we have is California. You know, to that. It's not even, cl it's not so even close. Per capita is way higher. Yeah, because if you're, you know, 75, 78%, I believe that California's 
somewhere in the 25 to 30 percent, maybe as high as 35 percent, but that's still half of where you are, less than half of where you are. And, you know, California's a, a relatively radical state in many regards. And one of those ways is, you know, wanting to ban all gas powered vehicles. And I think there's nine states, including California, that will ban all gas cars, including some hybrids. I mean, basically, you're either EV or you're the devil. You're not okay. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But it's fascinating to hear. I mean, you're Norway, right? Norway, 79% EV, right? Amsterdam, very high EV. I was reading an article, I um, I don't know, maybe a few months ago, where they actually think, oh man, we went too far. We we dialed it up too too far. And what they've learned is as they promoted so heavily EVs, they actually unwittingly, it caused a greater volume of cars on the road than they used to have. So yes, they're selling a huge percentage of their new cars or EVs, but now people are taking less public transportation and they have a higher volume of vehicles on the roads, which was an unintended consequence. So you know, where you are is, is interesting because to your point, it's not even a matter of, hey, whether I should consider an EV or not. Most people, sounds like clearly, at least EV is in the realm of consideration. Now it's a shift to which EV, right? So one last question. I just want to give you some little, I just want to give you some background as well, because Please. in BC, which is different from California and a lot of the places you mentioned is our hydro is a crown corporation. So they have everything in its intention to make sure that more EVs are on the road because that's their profit center. Mm. There, there's also insurance. It's only one insurance company, and that is a crown corporation. So two conductors of the whole industry are the government. Yeah, we have that. I think we're just far more fragmented and less effective, thank God, you know, where they would very much like to be where you are, but, you know, within the political system here. And, and interestingly... I learned from Glenn Mercer, the great leading researcher in retail automotive, who spent two decades with McKinsey, that over 50% of all EVs purchased in the United States come from just 10 counties. And they're the 10 largest Democratic counties in the United States. So, you know, on top of everything else in, in our country, I don't know that you deal with that there, but, you know, this is the first fully like politicized product, <laughs> automotive product out there, right? And, and I, I was joking around, you know, that if, if you have a dealership, are we going to get to the point to where, you know, I say, hey, welcome, welcome to ABC Motors. I just, a quick question before, I'm just curious, are you a Democrat or Republican? Well, I'm a Democrat. Okay. All those vehicles, our Democratic inventories over here, our Republican <laughs> inventories over here, our independent inventory, that's the hybrids, that's over here, right? I mean, it's just, it's really interesting how things are starting to evolve. And so much of it is either heavily influenced or impacted in some form or fashion by the government, right? Follow the money. Always seems to be that way, right? Um, what's your level of optimism for 2024? You know, industry experts in this country, you know, we saw a decline in net profit of over 20% last year, some much higher, 100% or higher, some lower, some brands, some dealerships actually made as much or even more than they did in 23. Those are primarily Toyota, Lexus, Honda, 
Subaru, maybe to a degree BMW, but the vast majority dropped and the industry dropped over 20%. It's projected we will drop about another 20%, possibly more this year. As you go into 2024 and you continue to move forward, is it your estimation that this is going to be better than 23, about the same, or perhaps off from 23? Well, possibility, I feel that next year will be very consistent for us compared to last year. I think volumes will be a little bit less. In 24? Because up until North Carolina uh, battery plant is up and running for Toyota, that will be our key to success for the next step. There's a lot, there's a lot of pressure resting on that battery plant. I mean, they're spending like $8 billion on this plant and for batteries and 50% hybrid electrification, sorry, electrified vehicle volume is, it can only get better into the future. And if they produce more, we'll be selling every single one of them. It's because that's the nature of our market. And so from now till then, we'll be more focused on larger margin projects like used cars or uh, larger family vehicles rather than the the smaller economic economy cars. Um, and that will give us, that will get us through 24. I think 24 is going to be a really pivotal year and a transition from to a lineup that will be 100% hybrid next year after next two years. So when you have a full electrified lineup, it makes it a real really easy for profitability because we'll have the solutions for everyone, which the other manufacturers do not have. And that's why you see such an average decline. But I don't think Toyota is contributing to that average. They're a remarkable, they are a remarkable product, remarkable brand, remarkable leadership, remarkable partner to their their, dealer partner. I think, or I just think they're on a different level. Um, right now, and they just seem to consistently make all the right moves. But interestingly, I think they, and there's a lot of great partners and brands out there, but I think above all others, and when we, when we go back and we talked about the difference between a vendor and a partner, right? There's a difference between an partners. OEM and a partner. And mm-hmm. they are and have consistently been focused and perhaps even obsessed with being a great dealer partner, understanding that you got to have both, you know, they could produce great products, but without having a fantastic partnership, they are never going to achieve the highest level of success. And they just seem to be so committed to that. So I'll tell you what, for anybody out there with a Toyota or Lexus franchise, (laughs) just you're so, so, so fortunate for anybody else that doesn't have a Toyota or Lexus franchise, that's okay. There's a lot of other great franchises, but I would say this, you know, both from the OEM perspective and the dealer perspective, success leaves clues. And there are lessons uh, from the land of Toyota and Lexus that I believe that any dealer, any operator and any OEM could take cues from that would allow them to up-level their results in 2024. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, we've had nine brands in our company since my father founded in 83. And the ones that we have left are the ones we felt like are partners to us. Mm-hmm. And that is Toyota and Lexus. Yeah. The other ones have just, the, the relationship deteriorated over time. And you, you don't want to make someone profitable if you don't feel like you're part of that game. Yeah. It's a team effort. Same as the vendors, right? 
So, and our clients think the same of us. It's amazing how this all works, the circle of life, because yeah. when we accomplish that with our communities, with our clients, they will make sure you stay in business. If we don't, they don't care. So, well, listen, I knew this would be an interesting conversation. I've been looking forward to it. And you have certainly, uh, not surprisingly, have exceeded expectations. You've shared so many things that have been not just interesting to me, but just great learnings. And I know that they're going to also have a positive impact for everybody that, that listens to this episode. So first and foremost, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I appreciate it. Thank you for being persistent to get me here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And I wish you and the entire Regency team uh, a spectacular 2024. All the best for both uh, you and your families as you go forward this year and beyond. And I look forward to hopefully having the opportunity to venture up to the land of EVs. (laughs) Welcome to coming here anytime. I'll be glad to host. I just have to crawl onto a plane and make the very long, arduous trip from Portland, Oregon to Vancouver, which is probably all of an hour, probably an hour and a half, right? So I'll make sure I do that in the next couple of months because I just I w- want to say thank you in person and, and again, wishing you all the best. For everybody listening, thank you for taking the time. I certainly hope and trust that this has been of great value to you like it has been for me. Um, as always, if you wouldn't mind, share this to somebody who you, you believe uh, would benefit from the, from what Izam shared, his experiences, his learnings, his wisdom. Please take the time to subscribe and download. And man, if you want to leave a review, I love them all. Could be good, bad, or ugly. I learned from them all. And if you're heading to NADA, look me up there. You can find me. Track me down on uh, www.davidspizak.com, where you can find all of these episodes as well as show notes for this episode and all others. But you could also hit me up on LinkedIn. You could find Isaiah on LinkedIn too if you want to continue the conversation. I'll put his contact info there. And I'll look forward to seeing you all the next time uh, we're on the David Spizak Show here. Thanks so much. Bye. listening to the david spizak show if you haven't yet please click the subscribe button and leave a rating wherever you're listening right now i look forward to having you back in the room where it happens